When I was growing up, the most focused time of year was the month before Christmas. I mean, you know, that was the most important day, right? I mean, especially for kids. And the days leading up to that were critical. And the closer we got to Christmas Day, the more heightened the sense of anticipation. We didn't know anything about Advent. We'd never heard about that. But we knew what it was to wait. Everything that went into the preparation for the season, the Christmas tree, the ornaments, lights, carol singing, uh, the scripture reading, which we did, the cookies that we had only then. You know, the season was full of promise. And we knew we just had to wait. Our waiting was full of awareness, too. We were alert to any kind of signal that would indicate the sort of Christmas we could anticipate. My parents actually invented a type of language that they'd use to communicate about presents and other things they didn't want us to know about. It was all good-natured. It was a game. And we loved them for the effort they put into it and the joy that they helped us to celebrate in. I'll tell you, though, they weren't always able to keep things a secret. I still remember the time when my mother was out and I was home with my brothers. I was probably 12 years old, and they're all younger than I am. And a delivery truck came to the front of our house from a store called Meyer, which was the big department store in the city where we lived. And a man came to the door, knocked on the door, we opened it, and he said, so, where do you want the trampoline? And I looked at my brothers like, we're getting a trampoline! And it was just this huge secret that my mother was so disappointed that they had delivered it at the wrong time. So I directed them uh, to a place to store it under the house where all the other things were stored. And then we had a decision to make. Would we act like we didn't know? Well, we kept up the charade for a few days, and then we just couldn't help it, and we, we all laughed. I will tell you, too, that month before Christmas, we were always on our best behavior. And we loved the time of waiting. I think if my mom and dad had said, Christmas is great, so let's have it a week early, I think we would have protested. We would have said, no, we have to wait. Years later, when I learned about Advent and I began to walk the season with some intentionality, I realized how my parents had actually helped us to understand the importance of waiting, of waiting with anticipation and obedience and hope. Now, truly, Advent is not really a season about waiting for Christmas. I know that's the common understanding. And many people, when they begin to observe Advent, they see it that way. It's sort of an antidote to the crass commercialization that takes place during this season. In a way, it can function that way. But at its heart, Advent, which means coming, is preparation for the coming of Christ into our lives. At Christmas, yes, but at each moment and in the future at the consummation of the age. Today, we begin the church year all over again. And we start the four-week journey to Bethlehem, which is also the journey to seeing Christ born anew in each of our lives. And the anticipation of the coming of the kingdom of God in power for which we await with great longing. Just something about Advent, actually, for those of, that this may be new to you or a little bit of a reminder, there's, there's been some kind of Advent season in the church for a long time. We can trace it back to at least the 5th century. It started with monks who were instructed to fast every day of December in preparation for the coming of Christ at Christmas. From the time of Bernard of Clairvaux in the 12th century, a century there have been three themes of Advent that appear side by side. 
the coming of Jesus at Bethlehem, the coming of Christ into our lives, and his coming at the close of the age. And these themes will weave in and out of our Advent journey for the next four weeks, and they're all appropriate areas for our consideration, prayer, and spiritual discipline, and I would urge us just to be looking for them. There are also three figures that accompany us on this journey each year with various levels of emphasis depending on our readings. There's Isaiah, who we've already mentioned this morning. There's John the Baptist. And there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. There are others, of course, and Jesus himself shows up, but his big season is still a few weeks away. Isaiah points forward, doesn't he? John says, it's now here. The kingdom is here. And Mary is a model of trust and obedience who fully embraces God's presence. In Mary, there is surrender and there is hope. And with all of this, there is the light. The light that begins in the darkness with a single candle and grows each week until we witness the blazing truth of the incarnation and the heavens full of the glory of God. Today, there are several themes in here running side by side. Isaiah laments the situation of Israel in exile, and he looks for God to come in rescue and redemption. Jesus warns his listeners about the coming judgment. Don't miss the signs, he says. Be attentive, watch, stay awake. Here we have the first and the second coming together, each with its own sense of awe, surprise, and fulfillment. And the alignment of these two events is actually important for us. Isaiah's prophecy takes the form of a communal lament, as does the psalm that follows it. It describes the situation. It doesn't pull punches. It doesn't sugarcoat things. It's vulnerable about the realities, what's really going on about the sin at the heart of the community. It communicates the need for redemption. There's a sense of longing here for God to act. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. The way we would say it perhaps is, Lord, come and fix this mess. And there is an assumption that God will. That God is Redeemer and will reign in righteousness. It says, yet you, Lord, are our Father and we are your people. In Mark, Jesus gives his hearers a glimpse into the coming judgment. It's a preview of John's revelation in a way. It's about the end of time. And here also there is a description of the situation as it is and the declaration of what God will do. It's hopeful in that God is coming. Things will not go on the way they always have, but there's also caution and warning. You don't know when this will happen, so pay attention. Stay awake. Be vigilant. Watch for the signs. Be on guard. Watch. Watch watch. So the scriptures today contain these very themes of Advent within them. There's a sense of the need for redemption. There's self-reflection and repentance in Advent. There's also here a longing for God to act, a desire for the Lord's presence and his purposes to be worked out in our own lives and in the world. And there is hope that in the end, things will be as they should be. And to timing, well, no one knows. So we must learn to wait. You know, of all the years that I've been walking Advent, that we have been doing this, 
this is a year that the whole world is coming to understand what it means to wait. Everyone is in Advent all over the world, whether they know it or not. We're waiting for a vaccine. We're waiting for a more just society. We're waiting for peace among peoples. And as Christians, we can model the way to wait. I think sometimes we don't know how important, important waiting is, and I have to tell you, I hate to wait. I mean, for anything. I'm just not really deeply patient as a person, but that's the thing that God keeps bringing to me, <laughs> wanting to grow in me. So I love Advent, but I always know, oh, I'm going to have to deal with this again. But waiting is important. It's important as just human people, but especially as followers of Jesus. A Christian teacher once said this, he said, second only to suffering, waiting may be the greatest teacher and trainer in godliness, maturity, and genuine spirituality that most of us will ever encounter. And yet we don't like to do it, most of us. We see it as wasted time, as progress that's not being made, things not getting done. Waiting is a dead zone, right? Negative territory. Well, Advent has another message for us. Advent says waiting is a gift because it forms in us, when properly practiced, the vision that God wants to release through our lives. It's an incubator for longing, for clarity, for desire. Waiting is the entryway. It's the foyer through which we must pass the open door that God's preparing for us. I mean, why can't God just open the door now? I mean, how many times have we prayed that? Because often we're not yet ready. I know my own stories of waiting. And for many of you, I know your stories too. Because I've walked with you where you've had to wait. Where you have experienced disappointment and loss. Where you are still waiting. And I've had the privilege of being with you when that waiting has turned to fulfillment and to joy in many cases. But there is always something for which we are waiting in God. Beyond all our personal desires, there is longing for God's kingdom to know the reckoning for good and against evil for all time that will be settled and made right. There is much for which we wait. And this is why we're called today to wait with awareness. We must be awake. Awake to our own need for redemption, our own sin, the own, the, our own sort of stuff that we have opportunity to deal with again. And awake to God and God's redemption, and God's love, and God's fulfillment, watching for the signs of how the Spirit is leading us. Three times in, G in Mark 13, Jesus declares that we are to watch because He knows that in waiting there is a temptation to doze off, to slumber, and then miss the Lord's arrival. This awareness, this awareness of our own need and of God's activity is the guide, I think, that leads us into Advent and through the season as it progresses. It will strengthen our longing. It will give us hope. It will empower the work of our waiting, which is always prayer, worship, witness, and serving others. All the time with our eyes fixed on the One who's coming. It was early in Advent in 1968 when Karl Barth, who was a titan of contemporary theology, phoned his friend of 60 years, Edward Tynison. Now in their lifetime, they had been through two global wars. They had experienced the Nazi regime and the crises, conflicts, and chaos 
of the turbulent 20th century. And two old friends on the phone, they talked about the darkness of the world situation. And then before hanging up the phone, Bart said to his friend, he said, but keep your chin up. Never mind. He will reign. He will reign. That night, Bart died in his sleep. His last word, one of comfort, hope, and assurance of Christ's reign. So keep awake. Watch. Be vigilant. We want to be ready. Amen.